Welcome to Emory Healthcare Rounds. I'm Bill Klaproth. Today's topic is management of adolescents and young adults with cancer. Our guest is Dr. Christy Blum, Acting Professor, Department of Hematology and Medical Oncology at Emory University School of Medicine. Dr. Blum, thanks for your time. So what is the most common cancer in teenagers? Yeah, so I think um, just for clarification purposes, I just wanted to kind of mention that the National Cancer Institute sort of identifies people as age 15 to 39 as the definition for young adults uh, with cancer. So it actually, you know, spans a pretty broad range of uh, patients. But in that group, the most common cancers are uh, lymphomas, both Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphomas. And then um, other cancers like testicular cancer, melanoma, thyroid cancer, ovarian and breast cancers um, can also be seen and we also do see a higher risk of sarcomas and leukemias in that same uh, age group. So is there a reason that lymphoma especially strikes this group of young adults? Yeah, uh, good question. I don't think anybody really knows the answer to that, but both lymphomas um, and then something we call ALL or adult lymphocytic uh, leukemia um, can also be seen pretty commonly in this group. Um, and they affect, the lymphomas affect about 20% of this population, but things like testicular cancer and melanoma are in 12, you know, 11 or 12% of these patients too. So they're, they're just as frequent. So what are the signs then that a young adult may have cancer? Yeah, uh, this really depends on what kind of cancer it is. Um, and it can range from anything to feeling a new lump or having a new site of pain that's just not going away, sometimes fatigue, sometimes just abnormal blood counts. So really it's, important for patients even in this sort of young adult group to get their annual physicals and checkups with their primary care physician. This is such a difficult time, Dr. Blum. How does Winship help young adults navigate cancer care? Yeah, so Winship and a number of other hospitals across the country have really made an effort to start to develop what we call AYA or adolescent cancer programs. Um, and this is important because these patients kind of fall in that age group where they're leaving their pediatricians, perhaps moving on to adults physicians, and so they can often kind of get lost in that transition. So the nice thing about a lot of these AYA cancer programs, including what's being developed here at Winship, is that they have collaborations kind of ongoing between pediatricians and adult physicians, oncologists, radiation doctors. Um, they also have a lot of specialists, including fertility specialists that are important in cancer care in this group, as well as navigators and support groups and things like that available to these patients. Well, that's and really ultimately. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, ultimately, the goal of some of these groups is really to increase research in this area, too, because, again, a lot of these patients miss the opportunity for clinical trials and research that were normally geared to either pediatric patients or adult patients. And so really doing research in this group is important as well so that we can develop new treatments for them. I could see that. And I'm just thinking about lymphoma. What is the success rate of treating lymphoma? Are most of those patients with cancer, are they able to be cured or be put into remission where they're able to manage it then throughout their life? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the big thing about lymphoma, of course, is there's a number of different types. And the most common one in adolescence is something that we call Hodgkin's lymphoma. And even in that, there are a couple of different subtypes. But for the most common Hodgkin's lymphomas, close to 85 to 90% of patients are cured um, and are able to kind of continue to have a normal life and, you know, normal expectations for the life after the treatment's all done. 
Now, earlier you said the age range of young adults with cancer is 15 to 39. That means women of childbearing years are affected by this. So what fertility issues come up with young patients and cancer care? Yeah, so I think the most um, common issue is really looking at fertility preservation. And it really depends a lot on what the cancer is, what the planned treatment is. So, for example, in Hodgkin, some of our very standard um, first-line treatments, so when you're first diagnosed, actually don't have a big impact on fertility, so we have less concerns about it. But other treatments that we may offer, for example, if the cancer came back, may actually cause um, sterility long-term. And so uh, it's an important thing to kind of get involved with a reproductive endocrinologist very early for both kind of men and women. Um, and look at observations for egg preservation uh, for men would be sperm banking in those situations so that, you know, those things can be d discussed and then opportunities to really preserve fertility long term after the treatments are all done. Um, and again, really one of the focuses of some of these AYA cancer programs is to kind of loop in those fertility specialists very early on in a patient's care. And Dr. Blum, earlier you were talking about support. What types of emotional support are extended to young adult cancer patients? Sure. There are a lot of different options out there. Um, a lot of programs have navigators. And just as you can imagine, again, figuring out where to go in a complex health system, whether you're starting in a pediatric setting and then moving to an adult system can be very challenging. So a lot of these cancer programs will offer navigators that sort of help do that. A lot of them have also started to develop support groups where young cancer patients can meet other cancer patients because sometimes they feel very isolated when they come to a cancer waiting room and they see a lot of older adults, for example, or they see if they're in a pediatric waiting room, a lot of young children whose needs are a lot different than theirs. Um, so a lot of these support groups are available where they can meet people their own age and kind of talk about their experiences. There's counseling services available. And then um, there's a lot of national groups that are really uh, uh, working to to help uh, network with these patients and also help, again, put them in contact with other patients across the country. So the Lymphoma Research Foundation is one group that I work with um, that really specializes in uh, young adults with lymphomas. But there's the Live Strong Foundation as well, and then Teen Cancer America, which are all group, good groups for these patients to, to look into. Well, speaking of pediatric cancer patients, got me thinking, when should a childhood cancer patient transition from a pediatric oncologist to another provider? Uh, a very good question. I think one we don't have great answers to, I would really encourage the patient to talk first to their pediatrician um, about, you know, when is the best time to do this. A lot of times, again, at Winship, for example, we have very close connections with our pediatric hospital. So many of their physicians, and I'm an adult oncologist, will actually reach out to me and say, we have these pa this patient, we've treated them, we want to know what kind of options you have. And so we have sort of a close uh, network where we can communicate and really discuss when, when is the best time for that transition. But I think the best thing for a patient is really just talk about that first with their pediatrician. Um, and on the same note, occasionally an 18-year-old may end up in an adult oncology clinic and we do know for things like sarcomas and leukemias, sometimes for the younger patients following more of a pediatric treatment protocol is better in terms of their outcomes. So on the flip side, somebody who ends up in an adult oncology clinic who's right in that age range um, should actually ask, is there something on the pediatric side that maybe I should look into? Um, so really having that discussion with your oncologist, whether it's on the peds or the adult side, I think is important. 
And Dr. Blum, let me ask you this. Is cancer in young adults generally hereditary? Because I'm thinking they're too young to have poor lifestyle choices impact their health at this point. Is that correct? Uh, you know, it actually um, isn't clear in a lot of cancers. So for most lymphomas, we don't know why patients uh, develop them, for example. And they often are not hereditary. You can see some rare hereditary lymphomas, so occasionally that will happen. Um, but especially for the majority of the, the young adult cases, it's not often a hereditary situation. It really is something that occurs for a reason we don't know. It may be some sort of environmental exposure, but even for most patients for lymphoma, we don't really have uh, information on what that might be that patients are exposed to. So I think it's an active area of research, but generally is not a, a hereditary type of uh, situation. And lastly, Dr. Blum, is there anything else we need to know about management of adolescents and young adults with cancer? Uh, again, I think the most important thing is to really think about going to a, a either a major academic center or a nationally recognized comprehensive cancer center if you're in that situation, just because a lot of these places are really going to have these collaborations already set up between the pediatric and the adult groups. They're going to be aware of most of the active research and then also have some of these new trials with new agents available. So whether you don't, even if you don't start at one of these academic centers, just getting a second opinion there I think is always worthwhile to really make sure you're on the right track for your treatment um, and then looking at um, also sort of anticipating long-term complications. I think that's one thing I didn't get a chance to touch on is just that ultimately one of the things that faces these patients is you know, 20 years after after your treatment, are you going to have any complications as a result of that treatment that need to be watched for? And there are things like risks potentially with some chemotherapy drugs and heart disease. There's also risks for secondary cancers later on. So learning about those risks as well with some of the treatments and then having an opportunity to really monitor those long-term um, with your oncologist is important. Dr. Blum, thanks for your time. Winship Cancer Institute of Emory University is an NCI comprehensive cancer center. Should you have questions or wish to discuss the care of your patients, please use our referral form or call us at 888-WINCHIP. That's 888-946-7447. You're listening to Emory Healthcare Rounds. For more information on Winship Cancer Institute of Emory University, please visit emoryhealthcare.org slash referral. Refer Winship. That's emoryhealthcare.org slash Refer Winship. I'm Bill Klaproth. Thanks for listening.